it is wonderful to be with you this morning, to see all your bright, smiling faces here on Time Change Sunday. You must have the, uh, the presence of God in your life here to be still smiling on a day like this. But isn't it good to be in God's house and to be reminded of awesome truths like we just sang? I'll never forget singing that uh, version of Amazing Grace in a maximum security prison about two years ago. People, over 3,500 inmates serving life sentences, and, um, and they sang, my chains are gone, I've been set free, and I thought, who, who picked that song? <laughs> Everybody around me is wearing prison outfits, and uh, I thought, that should have been thinking ahead before you picked that particular song selection. I asked uh, some inmates after, I said, how did you feel singing, my chains are gone, I've been set free, when you're you're spending the rest of your life here behind bars. And uh, they said, but our chains are gone. We are set free. They said, I've never felt so free since I found Christ here in prison. And uh, I just thought to myself, can you be in a maximum security prison for the rest of your life and yet be experiencing the joy and the grace of God? And you can't. There's no place you can go where that grace cannot find you and set you free. Well, it's been good to be with you. And I just appreciate so much your church the leadership here, uh, all the folks we work with all weekend have just been outstanding. And I'm just so excited to drop in and see this amazing congregation that God is, is growing and blessing. And, uh, and I'm so glad to be a part of this day with you. And, and uh, it was wonderful to see the spirit people had just to, to want to have a fresh encounter with God this weekend. And if I could sure uh, encourage you with this, uh, the, the study of fresh encounter. Um, you know, I know we're all busy, and we all have many things we could do with our time, but uh, can you think of anything else that would be any more important in your life than having a fresh encounter with God? I've been a Christian for 45 years, and I've grown up my whole entire life inside the church, inside Southern Baptist churches, been in church every Sunday of my life, 45 years, been to seminary, earned some degrees, but I'll tell you, if I just really was honest with you, some of those 45 years has not necessarily been dynamic and victorious and as joyful as they should have been. And uh, I think somewhere along the line, some, some Christians were encouraged that if you just, it, the, the mark of being a strong Christian is how many years you put in. Like you sort of win, get a pin at the end of being a Christian for 50 years or something. But the fact is, God doesn't necessarily celebrate how many years you put in as a child of God. It's how deep you went how full of the joy of the Lord you had, how much of the power of God was upon your life. It's possible to live a disobedient, self-centered, powerless Christian life for 50 years. That doesn't bring honor to God. What really matters is, did you, was your walk fresh with him? And uh, as I shared earlier in the first service, I realize I owe it to myself to have all the walk of God that he wants me to have. But I also owe it to my wife to be all the man of God that she deserves to be married to. And my kids deserve to have all the man of God that, for a father that they deserve to have as well. And my fellow church members deserve to have a man of God as a church member that God designed me to be. And so it, it just it dawned on me it costs other people for me to stay in the same place with God, for me to become complacent and lethargic and to say, you know, I, this is just the kind of Christian I am. I guess this is the way I'll be the rest of my life. The moment I decide that, I've just robbed a whole bunch of people of the blessing they would have received if I had kept going with God. 
And so when you have an opportunity, when you have a church that loves you enough to try to help you to keep growing, uh, seize those opportunities. Because as I tell people, you're, you're only one fresh encounter away from the most amazing Christian life you ever could have dreamed of. Just one encounter away. It doesn't take God long if he can just get our attention, if we just show up. Um, sometimes I hear worship leaders pray and say, God, we just, we, our, our, our pastors will say, well, God really showed up to, on, today. You know, we had a great service. God showed up. Folks, God doesn't show up. Now and then we show up. Now and then we actually come with an open heart, an open mind, and God does things he's always wanted to do. He's just waiting for us to show up and be available. And so when you have opportunities, let me encourage you, take, take advantage of that, because you never know in one study, one small group discussion, that all of a sudden your eyes are open and God shows you stuff and sets you free in ways that you never thought were possible. It can happen. I've seen it happen around the world. Uh, and uh, lastly, just to say, uh, you know, I, I, for me, I guess, again, why I take my walk with God so seriously is because I want my kids growing up looking at my life to watch my life and say, if that is what it means to be a Christian, then I want to be a Christian too. You've seen the statistics. They say that as many as 70% of kids who grow up going to church will walk away from church when they hit college. 70%. So you look at all the kids running around here and just know that the statistics say 7 out of every 10 kids you see by the time they hit college, will have walked away, at least for a time. And so that's why it was so serious for me. And, and I, I think there's one or two books left of my boys in the back. Um, you can imagine the joy that I had when my own sons wrote a book. My father wrote Experiencing God. I've been teaching it and writing that material for years since. You can imagine my joy when about a year ago, my two boys, uh, along with my brother, wrote a book for teenagers, how teenagers can know the will of God. Do you know any teenagers who need to know the will of God today? Uh, I thought to myself, praise God, now my kids are trying to help people know the will of God and not mess up their future and their life by just guessing and groping and just going with the crowd, but knowing what God wants for them. Now, my kids have taught me a lot about the Lord, and they've also given me a lot of great sermon illustrations. I want to tell you one story about uh, my family. Uh, several years ago, I was the president of a seminary in Canada, and I'd been, I did that for 13 years. And after I'd been there for, I guess, about 12 years, the board of trustees met, and they thought, you know, we need to do something nice for Richard and his wife. Uh, Richard's been working hard, traveling a lot, been away from home a lot. We want to, to do something to thank him for the time he's given us. And so they pulled some strings, looked for some deals, and all chipped in a bit of their uh, funds, and ultimately they came up with an amazing gift, a gift like I'd never received before. They, both, they, they presented me and my wife with a, a trip to Hawaii. Now you have to understand, I'd never been to Hawaii at that point, at that point in my life, and uh, you cannot give a greater gift to a Canadian than to send him to Hawaii in January. It was 28 degrees below zero the day we left, and so it's like you're going to heaven. It's amazing. But right after they announced this gift, I had three teenage children at the time, and all three of my kids approached me, and they said, Dad, we're very worried about you and Mom. I said, what are you worried about us for? We're going to Hawaii. They said, well, that's the point. They said, we're worried that you will, you'll just be miserable the whole time you're there because you'll be worried sick about your only three children back in Canada, shivering in the cold with no one to feed them or care for them and just ruin your entire trip. 
And so my free romantic getaway with my wife to Hawaii became an expensive vacation when I now had to pay for my three freeloading teenage children to come with me to Hawaii. I'd planned to rent a sporty little convertible run around the island with my wife in. Now I've rented this minivan so I could haul all my kids' luggage. We pulled up and I'd gotten this townhouse right on the beach. I thought, hey, it's our first time. We better do it right. You just there's a, in the kitchen, you just push back a little uh, patio door, and you walk down a, a little short sidewalk. There was the beach. It was awesome. And so uh, we, we, we pull up in front of the townhouse. My three kids jump out, run into the townhouse. Within one minute, they were in their swimming attire, running down the sidewalk to the beach, saying, It's Hawaii! Not one child said anything awkward like, Dad, do you need help with that luggage? <laughs> That, that looks kind of heavy. Maybe I should get that. They're gone and sunning themselves already. So I, I haul in. I get everything unpacked. And I ran to the store to get groceries so my voracious children would have something to eat after they'd sunned themselves. And I came back, and I realized all I've done is work since I've gotten here on this vacation. I thought, those children down at the beach, they didn't work one day at that seminary. Why are they enjoying themselves? I, I could be working at home. Why do I have to fly to Hawaii to work the whole time? So my wife and I make our way to the beach and when we get there, my middle child Daniel's there, and he says, Dad, I am starving to death. He said, what are the odds of you going back to the townhouse, making me a sandwich, and bringing me a sandwich, a drink, and maybe a bag of chips? I said, son, Las Vegas could not calculate those odds. So that is so, so unlikely. There's no point in talking about it. But I said, look, the patio door, it's unlocked. I said, I left all the groceries on the kitchen counter. You can eat whatever you want, only clean up your mess. My son's a slob. And I said, the last thing I want to do is spend my week in, vaca- uh, in Hawaii simply cleaning up all of your mess everywhere. So eat what you want, but clean it up. So he grudgingly goes back into the townhouse. Sure enough, finds all kinds of groceries sitting on the kitchen counter. Finds his favorite chocolate chip cookie. He's so excited, he rips the whole bag open. Starts cramming chocolate chip cookies in his mouth. He's spewing crumbs and chips here and there. And he finds his favorite potato chips. He's so excited, he rips that bag open. There's chips falling everywhere, cramming them in his mouth. He's making a sandwich, getting a drink, spilling food, dropping crumbs everywhere. Just a disaster zone in the entire kitchen. He thinks, I'll never make this, uh, get all this back to the beach. I'll just sit down in the living room and eat some of this here. And so, of course, if you and I had soaking wet swimming gear and we were going to sit on a couch, we'd probably lay a, a towel or something over the furniture so we didn't just soak it all up. But uh, he was far too busy for that. So he just flops himself down, soaking the furniture. There's sand now spreading through the, the furniture. Puts his sand-covered feet up on the coffee table. He's spewing chocolate chip crumbs and potato chips, bread crumbs, just trashing out the living room. Sees a television and thinks he might as well watch TV while I'm eating all this wonderful food. And he turns on the TV. And I remember my son grew up in Canada, and so his favorite thing to watch is hockey. And lo and behold, here in Hawaii, he finds a hockey game. He can't believe his good fortune. Later he said to me, Dad, in that moment I thought to myself, life doesn't get better than this. Here I am, a teenager in Hawaii, he said. I look out to my right. I can see the waves of Hawaii rolling into shore. He says, I look straight ahead. I see my very favorite thing of all to watch on television. He said, I look in my lap. I see the food of the gods right at my fingertips. He says, and I look to my left, and I see a strange man wearing nothing but a towel. And he said, in that moment, I realized I was in the wrong townhouse. (laughs) 
My son had gone through the first unlocked patio door he'd come to. Of course, he'd run out that door looking at the beach. He hadn't gotten his bearings. He hadn't looked back to see which place he came from. Our neighbor apparently had done this before, got his groceries on the way from the airport, was having a shower to freshen up when he heard the television come on in his living room. Thought, what on earth is going on? And fortunately wrapped a towel around himself before coming out and finding my teenage son wolfing down all of his junk food. We spent the rest of our vacation trying to avoid our next-door neighbor. It was awful. You know, my son wasn't off by very much. In fact, he was just one townhouse away from being right where he wanted to be. But there's some things in life where being close isn't good enough. And folks, I've been around Christians all my life, people that claim to be born again, claim to be children of the king, claim to be going to heaven when they died. But when you watch their life, you just had this sense that something was off, that they, they weren't dead center where God wanted to be. Their life was, they're, they're serving the king of kings, but their life kept experiencing defeat. They, they were children of God, were heir, fellow heirs with Christ, but they had no joy in their life. They had no victory. They were being defeated by sin. And you looked at their life, you looked at their family, and you thought, surely God intends for more than what they're experiencing right now. Off. I spend most of my ministry trying to encourage God's people to not settle for just being close to where God wants them to be but never being satisfied till they're dead center where God wants them to be. All my kids, as they've been growing up and as they're making decisions as teenagers and into their early 20s, they'd come and say, Dad, what if I were to do this? What if I were to go to this school? What if I was to major in this? What if I were to take this job? My response is always the same. Well, is it God's best? Because if it's not God's best, it's not good enough for you. Just don't be satisfied with less than God's best. And I want you to see for a few moments here a very simple, well-known passage in John 15 that God just spells it out and says, this is what I want for you. If you want to know if you're in the right townhouse or not with your life, if you want to know if you're right where God wants you to be, it's as simple as can be. John 15, verse 5, he says this, I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. What he was saying is Christianity is not a religion. It's a relationship. And it's not just being distantly associated with the God of the universe. It's like a branch that is connected right to the vine. You can't see any separation. And all the life-giving fluids of the, of the vine are just flowing straight into the branch and giving it life so it produces much fruit. The Christian life is getting as close to God as you can possibly be. Now, we all know that. But how do you know if you're abiding or not? If I go up to the average person and say, hey, you know you're supposed to abide in Christ. Oh, yeah, I know that. I'm a Christian. Oh, yeah. So how do you know you're abiding in Christ? What's the evidence that you're abiding in Christ? Because we know in our head some things, but how would you know if you were in the right townhouse or not? What if you're just close to abiding in Christ, but you're not actually abiding in him. Well, Jesus tells you how to tell. There's, there's a way to know if you're abiding in Christ or not. And it's very simple. He, Jesus explains this beautiful picture of what it means to be intimately connected with him. And then when he wraps the whole discussion up, he gets to verse 11, and he simply says this, These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may remain in you, 
and that your joy may be full. What's the evidence that you have a close walk with God? Is it that you've been a Christian for 45 years? Is it that you are in church every Sunday? Is it that you're a regular tither with your income? No. What does he say? Do you know how you can tell people who are walking closely with Jesus? Very simple. The joy of Christ fills their life to overflowing. That's how you know. By the way, John 16, 22, Jesus said, by the way, nobody can take your joy from you. Nobody can. You could say, well, I used to be joyful. When I was younger, well, I was joyful. But, you know, I've got a boss now that keeps taking my joy away. I, I've had some health issues that takes my joy away. You know, I've, I've had some problems in my life, and I'm not joyful like I used to be. But uh, and you know what Jesus said? Nobody can take your joy away. And you know why? Because the joy of the Lord comes from the Lord. And nobody can take him away from you. In fact, the psalmist, when he was trying to describe what it's like to be right next to God, he said in, in Psalm 1611, he said, do you know what it's like when you get right next to God? He said, when you get right into his presence, right next to him, he said, there is, uh, in, in his presence is fullness of joy. Fullness of joy. And that's become the, the measuring stick for me. How do I know if I'm walking close with Jesus or not? Very simple. Am I experiencing fullness of joy? Because once the joy starts to depart, I realize, you know what, I'm not abiding in his presence anymore because when you're in his presence, there's fullness of joy. And I've had lots of people that were joyful at one point in their life, maybe when they became a Christian, maybe in the early days of their walk with God, but, but life began to happen and difficult things happen. And, and, and one day you look at them and realize you haven't seen them smile in church in years. Boy, they, they sing in the choir every week, but they never smile. They usher every week, pass out bulletins, whatever else, greet people. They never smile. You talk to kids growing up in Christian homes, and they say, yeah, our dad, mom took us to church every Sunday, but it was not a joyful home to grow up in. I've had people say, you know, I, I would describe my dad as a man of faith, a man who believes the Bible, a man who believes in tithing, a man who believes in witnessing, believes in missions. But then they'll say, but my dad was not a joyful man. How do you know that you're walking closely with Jesus? The joy of the Lord is overflowing in your life. Let me just give you two ways, especially, that in my own life. I'll tell you, uh, and th this is a personal journey for me that I'm sharing with you because I've been a Christian most of my conscious life. And I've been to church, I've been faithful, I've worked hard. But there have been moments where if I were to be honest with you, I would say, but I'm not experiencing the joy of the Lord overflowing in my life. Is it possible, by the way, to, to, to come to church on Sunday, to a church service like this, and not experience God? Could you be here this morning attending church and not be encountering the joy of the Lord? It is possible, isn't it? I know people who come to church every Sunday. They're some of the most joyless people I've ever met. But I don't want to cast too many stones because, you know what, that, that, that's happened to me too. I remember years ago... I was traveling and speaking a lot, and one week I was traveling all over the country. And one week I spoke eight times in three different states, three different time zones. And so I'm speaking in three time zones, just going from one city to the next. I got home on Saturday night after midnight. By the time I got to my house, got into my bed, it's well past midnight. I'm jet lagged. I was two hours difference that morning when I got up and spoke. I'm exhausted, and it's Saturday night. And I'll be honest with you, this, this sounds terrible, but I thought to myself, tomorrow's church, tomorrow's Sunday. 
but I don't want to go to church. <laughs> I want to stay in bed. I'm exhausted. Now, you have to understand, I had preached eight sermons that week. I had heard at least another eight sermons from other speakers. I'd, been, I'd sung worship songs all week long. I'd been in three different worship settings all over the country. I, I was all churched up. I didn't need to go to church. And uh, I thought to myself, you know what, maybe I'll sleep in. The best thing I could do is get kind of caught up on my rest. And then I had this horrible thought. I had three teenage kids who were all going to go to church the next morning. I thought to myself, I can't, I can't have my kids see their dad sleeping in bed while they're going to church. It just, that couldn't work. I've got to go. So, I, so it's like eating oatmeal. You know, you do it because it's the right thing to do. I got up and I went to church, but only because it's the right thing to do. That's what people would expect me to do. They would wonder. They might ask me what I was doing if they didn't see me, so I better get to church. So I get to church, even though I don't want to be, but I'm going to do it because it's, it's what you do on Sunday morning. And, uh, and, but I had a problem. See, the worship pastor in our church, he, uh, he had this one song he really liked, but I thought it was terrible. Now, you probably don't have this problem, but I, there was one song I just thought was the most pitiful song. It, 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 the words, part of the words I just thought were, weren't biblical. They were, I didn't think they were true. And so I would sing the part of the song that I thought was okay, but then it would get to a part I just thought was nonsense, and I thought, I don't, I'm not going to sing that. It's not even true. Why would I say something that was false in church just because they're playing a guitar in the background? Like, I'm not going to do that. And so I would, uh, so, but I, I mean, I'm try, I always try to be supportive. I always try to support my church staff. And so I wouldn't be obvious about it. I would just sing the part that was appropriate. And then when it got to that stuff that I thought was biblically uh, errant, I would just, I would suddenly cough. Like I would pretend to have, a, to clear my throat. Or I'd pretend like I just suddenly had a divine inspiration, had to commune with God for a moment. And then when, as soon as it got back to a part of the music I, I cared for, I would just slip back in to sing. But so, but the problem is that this guy liked the song so much, we sing it every Sunday. And so here I am, coming into church, I don't even want to be there, and, uh, and the worship leader says, let's all sing the song that Richard Blackaby can't stand. And so, I'm, uh, so I thought, I don't even have it in to fake this time. Normally I can fake being spiritual and godly at church, but <laughs> I didn't even have it in me. So I thought, I'm not even going to sing today. I just folded my arms. I thought, I'll just wait this one out. I'll, I'll pick it up and sing the next song. And so while I'm just kind of standing there pouting because there's playing a song I don't care for, I'm looking around, and all of a sudden I notice my oldest son Mike is playing the drums that day in the worship team. He's playing away in the drums, just helping God's people to worship him. And I look, and my next son's playing the bass guitar in the worship team. He's playing away, helping God's people worship him. And I start to feel kind of awkward. I look around, I see my daughter Carrie sitting down the row from me. She's singing away, praising God to this horrible worship song. And, uh, I, I, and all of a sudden, this is what God said to me. God said, are you telling me, Richard, that all it takes is one song that you don't care for in church? For you to not worship me, for you not to feel like there's nothing you can do or say to thank me for my goodness towards you, for my amazing grace. You mean after all the times I put up with you, you can't put up with one song you don't care for? And now you're just pouting? And then God says something that really disturbed me. He said, Richard, do you ever want your children or your grandchildren to look over at you in church in the middle of a worship time and see their dad frowning? in the presence of God. See their dad uptight, upset, because he's not getting what he wants. And uh, God just said, be very careful how you treat me, because all your kids and grandkids are watching. 
And I just made a promise to God that day. I just, I repented that day and said, God, I still don't like that song. <laughs> but you know what? You could, you could bring in a bad bagpipe player playing every note off key. And I would still have an opportunity in that moment to tell God just one more time how much I was grateful for what he did for me and how much I loved him. It wasn't about the music. It wasn't about the song selection. It was about my heart. And I want my kids to know that their dad may not be able to sing at all. In fact, I can't sing. I, I'm the worst singer probably in the room. I, I can't hit a note if, I, if my life depended on it. But I promised God at that point that every chance I had to just thank God for his goodness to me, I was going to just let it all out there. I, I was with my daughter speaking in a church in Greenville a couple years ago. She was about 19 at the time. She went with me to this church we'd never been to before. And I'm just singing away, just, you know, in this church I'd never been to. And my daughter kept, keeps looking at me. And I didn't know if she was in distress, if she needed to know where the restrooms were in this new church or what. Finally, I said, can I help you? I mean, Carrie, is there something wrong? What, what are you looking like that for? And we're, this song is going on, you know, and she kind of looks over at me and says, Dad, are you doing that on purpose? I said, doing what? She said, singing off-key on every solitary note in the entire song. She said, I've heard people miss a high note. I've heard them miss a low note. I've never heard a human being miss every note in an entire song. I didn't think that was humanly possible. I said, Carrie, I was just singing. She said, Dad. I may only be 19, but I know singing when I hear it. And that bears no resemblance to singing whatsoever. You know, if you ask my kids, well, what was it like going to church with your dad? They would probably say, well, you couldn't sing worth a lick. You kind of want to sit on the other side of the auditorium during the song service. But I hope they would say, but every chance God, dad had to tell God thank you and to draw near into his presence and just enjoy God, dad was right there all in. When I was a young seminary, seminary student, a, a friend came to me one day and he said, Richard, are you enjoying God? And I'll have to tell you, that was the most bizarre question anyone had ever asked me. If someone had asked me, Richard, are you serving God? I would have said, am I serving God? Look at all the committees I'm on. Look at all the ways I'm working. Every week I'm teaching Sunday school. I'm on this committee. I'm on that. If they had said, do you believe in God? I could have given them a long list of all my doctrinal beliefs and biblical stances. If, they, if they'd asked me, are you giving to God? I could show them my checkbook, show all the money I was giving to God. But he asked me, are you enjoying God? No one had ever asked me that before. But the psalmist said, when you're in the presence of God, there's fullness of joy. I was so busy serving God, I somehow forgot that you're supposed to enjoy him and love him. Just enjoy his presence. You come to church on a Sunday, not just because you're supposed to, but because you get a chance to draw into his joyful presence and just enjoy God. Just savor God and all that he's done. You serve God. You believe in God. You give to God. But you know what he wants you to do? He wants you to enjoy him. And when you get close to him and the joy begins to bubble up as you enjoy his presence, you know what happens? It just infects everybody around you. But I'll just be honest with you. There's times when I've served God faithfully, but I didn't do it joyfully. Do you know people like that? They've been serving in the same position in their church for 25 years. And no one has any memory of them ever smiling while they did it. Nobody even likes working with them because it's a painful experience. But they've been faithfully doing it year in and year out. See, in the church, we somehow think that if you do some, the same thing for a long time, that you're faithful. That's not necessarily the case. You may be doing something for a long time in the church because nobody else wants you to do anything else in the church. 
Maybe you're in a rut. Maybe you're just stuck. Maybe you just don't have anything else to do. Simply doing the same thing for a long time does not mean you're being faithful. Being faithful means you're bringing glory to God by how you're doing it. It means that you're doing it while you're abiding in Him. In fact, Jesus said in John 15, 5, apart from abiding in Him, you can do nothing. The only way to honor God is to be so close to Him, to abide in Him so intimately that what He does is what you're doing. And as you get that close, you know what? You're going to experience the joy of the Lord. But I've known people that have served faithfully for years, but they've complained for most of that time. They've pointed fingers at people that didn't help and didn't support, didn't thank them. Well, they kept working, but they weren't doing it joyfully. And uh, I just had to say to the Lord, God, protect me from simply working for you, but not enjoying you, not having the joy. And it can happen. I remember when I... Uh, left being a pastor, I came to be the president of the seminary, and uh, and I, I I enjoyed preaching every Sunday in my church, and all of a sudden, I'm in this uh, seminary, and nobody really knows me there yet, and there's nowhere for me to preach, and so I've got all these sermons sort of welling up within me, and you know, if you're a preacher, if you're a teacher, and you, you're going weeks without an outlet, I, I had all these sermons welling up with needing release, and my children were not volunteering to, to hear my sermons, and so I'm kind of looking around for a place to to deliver these messages God is giving me. And, and so one day, a Thursday, in the morning, uh, the pastor of the church that we were going to, he called me and he said, uh, Hey, Richard, are you in town tonight? I said, Yeah, I am. He said, Well, look great. He said, Because normally I would speak at this retirement home on Thursday, on one, one Thursday night a month. It's this Thursday, tonight. But he said, I've been called out of town, so would you preach for me? Uh, just a group of senior citizens, and just go in and preach a sermon, whatever you want. And they'll, they'll appreciate it. And so I thought, well, sure, I'll be glad to. And I thought to myself, I haven't preached in weeks. I've got all these great sermon ideas, just needing an audience. I'll, I won't just preach any sermon to these folks. I'll preach the mother of all sermons to these people. I mean, a lot of them probably have questions about the life to come and life and death and, and retirement. And I'll, I'll, I'll weave together in one sermon and address every issue that a senior adult might be asking about life. And so I pull out commentaries. I'm working on this sermon, getting it all together. And uh, about mid-morning, my wife calls me to checking in. I said, by the way, Lisa, tonight after uh, dinner, I've got to slip out and uh, I'm going to go because I'm, I'm going to go minister to the retirement home. And my wife, you have to understand her, she loves a party. My wife is always looking for a fun time. And she said, hey, that sounds like fun. Maybe the kids and I should go with you and we'll go to the retirement home. We haven't heard you preach for a couple of weeks and uh, it'll be fun. I said, no, 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 Lisa, that is a bad idea. Don't even go down those tracks, I said. It's not going to happen. Well, well, why not? I said, because it's not going to be fun. I'm going to be serving God. She said, well, I didn't know those were mutually exclusive. I, she, I said, yeah, and besides that, I know what happens. You'll get there thinking it's going to be fun. And then, then once I, I preach, I said, I can't have you coming and pulling on my shirt, my coat sleeve, and telling me that you're bored and you want to go home. Because I said, it's a policy with me that I don't leave a place until I've spoken to every person who wants to talk to me. I mean, I could be there for hours answering everybody's questions about my sermon and the text that I unpacked for them in my sermon. And she said, we'll, we'll, we'll bring books. We'll just read while you're ministering to the multitudes. And so I realized I wasn't going to win. So I said, all right, but just stay out of my way because I'm a professional. And I'll be ministering tonight. So we, I get to the retirement home. I'm preaching away. 
And it's the most unusual thing I've ever experienced. Not one person in the entire audience is, is looking at me. They're all looking sideways. I, at first, I thought I'd stumbled into a home for people with neck conditions or something. They're all looking this way. Finally, I looked the way they're looking, and I realized my wife has discreetly uh, seated all three of my children off against the wall to be out of the way of the professional. And, uh, but these senior folks have spied my children. And, and there's a lady sitting next to my daughter who's, who's touching her lacy dress that my mother made her. And a few rows back, there's these two older men, and they decided to have a gunfight with my, my two boys. And so they're, they're pretending to shoot at my sons. And there's a kind of large woman in front of them. They're ducking behind the woman and shooting. And my, my boys have never been shot at at church before, so they don't know what to do. So they're returning fire. Like, what else do we do? We're being shot at. Shoot back. And so there's a gunfight going on in the, in the congregation. There's a woman blowing kisses at my kids from across the room. Not one person is paying attention to me. I was so miffed, I brought my sermon to an abrupt close. I was clear they were not listening. I brought it to a close. I, as, we're, as we're closing in prayer, I said, uh, folks, you may have noticed my family's over here. If you'd like to say hi to them, it's my wife, my three kids. Well, there was a stampede. All these folks are just crowding around. They're, they're telling my kids jokes. They're giving my sons candies. They're asking about their schools. Not one person spoke to me. I mean, like I was invisible. They ran right past me to go to my family. I'm standing there with nobody, even so much as saying, nice sermon, preacher. I'm just standing there. So finally I thought, I guess my work is done. I guess in that abbreviated sermon I addressed every issue these people have. I guess we can go home now. But there's at least seven, eight rows thick of people all waiting their turn to get to my family. So I'm trying to get to my wife. It's like, excuse me, sir, can I get through here? Trying to get to my wife. Excuse me, ma'am, can I get through? I got to my wife. I said, Lisa, I'm ready to go home now. She looked at me, and she looked at all the people waiting in line. She said, well, uh, Richard, the kids and I just have a policy that we, we don't go home until we've spoken to everybody that wants to talk to us. And then she looked at me, I thought, rather smugly, and said, you should have brought a book. And so I'm just standing there with nothing to do while my kids are talking to all their peeps over here. And all of a sudden, I see this frail woman, and she's got a push cart with handles like this, a little basket that, to put her purse in, and she's pushing it very feebly down this very long hallway, and uh, which would be fine. I suppose that's where her room was, but inside her basket is my eight-year-old son, Mike. And I can just see this poor woman having a hernia or a heart attack. And I yelled at my son. I said, son, what, Mike, what are you doing in that poor woman's basket? Get out of there. You're going to hurt the poor thing. And she turned and said, oh, it's all right. She said, I, I told him to get in. She said, I'm giving him a ride, she said. She's like, tell me if I'm going too fast for you now. And my son looks at me like, dad, what can I do? The lady told me to get in her basket. Don't leave without me, dad. Don't leave me here with these people, dad goes down the hallway. When they got to the end, I yelled, all right, Mike, get out of the basket. Say thank you. The woman said, oh, that's all right, she said. I'll bring him back, she said. By the time she turned around and got him back, everybody else has left the room. I grabbed my son. I said, Mike, say thank you. Thank you, ma'am. That was very nice of you. you. You probably need to get going now. I knew it would take her the rest of the night to get back down to her room. She said, well, I've got to give a ride to your other two children, she said. It would only be fair. And so my six-year-old son, Daniel, dutifully climbed into the basket. Off he went. Nah, don't let him turn off the lights. <laughs> don't stay inside, Dad. By the time my daughter came back, the nurses are making announcements. Anyone visiting should have left an hour ago. And so we're quickly making our way out the door, getting in the car. As we're backing out of the parking lot. My son, Mike, spoke up on behalf of the other two and, and said, Dad, why did those people do that? 
what, what, what happened in there? And at first I wasn't even sure what to say. And finally I, I said, son, I think tonight God saw a bunch of people who needed joy. And uh, those people figured out where the joy was. I'll just tell you, it wasn't with me. I had ministry. I had a lesson. I had a sermon for them. That's not what they were looking for. They were looking for the joy of the Lord. And they found it in my kids. See, in the process of all my seminary training, all my work and all my service and labor on behalf of the Lord, somewhere along the way I'd lost my joy. I was serving faithfully, just not joyfully. And I said to my kids, I pray that all your life, the joy of the Lord will just so bubble up in your life that it will just splash on everybody around you. And when you go into a Sunday school room, all of the other students will say, oh, there's, there's one of the Blackabees. Things are always more fun when one of them are here. And there's a fellow's church fellowship. When you go to the workroom and your business, when you're talking to your neighbor on the street, whenever they see you, I pray you never lose the joy of the Lord. I pray you stay so close to God that, that you experience the fullness of joy every day in your life. Life's just too short to waste even one day of it joylessly. Well, I'm going to invite you to respond in a moment. It, it, you know what? This, it seemed like sort of a frivolous kind of sermon, except this is where I've been. And uh, even this past summer, I got to a point in my life where I was working so hard. And in the month of July, I think I spoke in four different countries preached countless sermons, was writing on a book. Everybody was telling me how much they appreciate all the ministry I was doing and how hard I was working and all the things I was doing. And, and I remember one point just stopping and looking at my life and saying, there's lots of good stuff in my life, but there's no joy. I'd lost the joy. And God just said, when you lose the joy, it means you're not abiding in me. Draw back into my presence. Remember what it's all about. It's about me loving you. It's not about how hard you work for me, not how much you give to me. It's about you enjoying God. Have, have you been so busy serving God, maybe you forgot just to enjoy him? You see, the problem when you forget the joy of the Lord is then your home becomes joyless. And your kids grow up in a joyless home. When my three kids were becoming teenagers, I was so worried that our kids would become a statistic as well and all walk away from God. First in like five generations of Blackabees, there was a lot of pressure on. And uh, so my wife and I talked, and we said, what are we going to do so our kids all want to still be a Christian when they become teenagers? You know what we decided? Let's fill our home with the joy of the Lord. You know, you can rebel against a rule. If you fill your home with Christian rules, your kids can rebel. If you fill your home with all kinds of threats and warnings, if you walk away from God, people will rebel. But how do you rebel against the joy of the Lord? How do kids say, there's just too much laughter in this home. Well, I'm out of here. Folks, could your home be described as a joyful place where your kids just like to be, your kids' friends like to be because it's a place where the joy of the Lord just overflows? If your grandparents, do your grandkids love coming to your house because they know there'll be joy there? Who ought to be the most joyful people in this church? The, the people who've been Christians the longest the senior citizens of the church. If you've been walking with God all your life, you ought to be the most joyful people on the planet because you've had years, decades, to enjoy the presence of God. Is that the case with you today? Or perhaps in that journey of being a Christian, maybe you've been so busy believing in God and serving Him that you forgot just to enjoy Him. 
So I'm going to invite you, if you would, we're just going to have a closing song, as you know, in response time. And, and this is what I want to invite you to do. There may be someone here even this morning, and you grew up thinking that to be a Christian meant you didn't get to have any fun, that it was about rules you had to follow. Boy, if I live my Christian life as a teenager, it means I don't get to have any fun with my friends. Maybe you grew up in a home where Christianity was about rules you followed. And maybe your parents made you be in church and follow all the rules, and that's what you thought Christianity was. And no one ever told you that being a Christian was enjoying God, abiding in his presence and enjoying fullness of joy. And if that's the case, then your pastor will be here standing at the front. You might be here for the very first time, and you might just want to come and take the pastor by the hand and say, I want that life. My life is not joyful. You might just say, my life's been miserable. My life's broken, and, I, and I, need, I want that joy. Tell me how to be in that kind of relationship with Jesus so I have joy, maybe even as a couple. You might have been faithfully dragging your kids to church every Sunday, but, but maybe you'd say, but there's no laughter in our home. I'm scared to death as soon as my kids can escape the bondage of my home. They're out of here. Maybe as a couple, you just want to come and pray and say, God, would you fill our home with joy? Would you fill our marriage again with joy? We're hanging in there. We're sticking together as a couple, but the joy is gone. We need to just to draw near to you again. As a couple, we need to abide in your presence and let the presence of God fill this home, this marriage, with joy. If, if that would be your case, let me invite you, even if you want to come and pray. In the first service, we had a number of people, and couples and even families, come and pray. And just say, God, help us to be a family of joy. Help us to be a couple of joy. Help me to be a teenager of joy in my high school. God, help me to be a person that reflects what it looks like to abide in Christ. So let me, could I ask you just to stand? And as the music plays, as we sing...